Welcome to Digital Marketing Musings. I'm Andrea McCartney. And I'm Gaia Reed. Every episode, we chat with industry experts bring the latest tips, tricks, and trends in digital marketing. This is Digital Marketing Musings, sponsored by Merkle. Let's dive right in. Welcome back to Digital Marketing Musings Season 3. Today, we're joined by Tracy Davis and Phil Meraki talked about how to maximize your email's deliverability rates. Here at Merkle, Tracy is the Director of Engineering for Marketing Campaign Platforms, and Phil is a Manager of Nonprofit Digital Technology. Welcome to the show, you two. Thank you. Thanks for having us. We're so excited to have you on. So today, we are talking about maximizing your email deliverability, and this topic has really been important over the past couple of years after some changes that have been rolled out for various platforms, yes, um, most notably Apple's mail privacy protection. And we actually had uh, an entire episode about some of these changes last season in season two. So uh, a plug for our listeners to go back and listen to episode 30 with Carly French and Phil Marcelona. So Tracy and Phil... Could you kind of quickly recap for our listeners what those changes were and the impact on email programs in the aftermath of those changes? Sure. Um, I can take a stab at it. Um, so essentially what happened with Apple is that they are starting to, in the background of your device, they're starting to open emails as soon as the device receives it. And so what that basically does is it counts as an open in your reporting. And so as you are looking at your metrics and, and your reporting, then you're seeing an inflated amount of opens. And um, and so you can no longer rely on, on email open rate as a reliable metric. And I don't know, Phil, is there anything else you wanted to add there? Yeah, a lot of, I, I'm going to piggyback on that. And people saw like 30% to 40% opens and they're like, oh my goodness, my email campaign is doing amazing. And then you start looking <laughs> and when you research, you go, oh wait, it's the same. Um, and that's the biggest change is that open rate isn't a good metric anymore. And it probably even wasn't before Apple put this in because even though you get somebody to open, you really need interactions. You want the, your recipients to be doing something on email, not just opening it. And that's where we can get into some of the other um, tactics and future a little bit later in this uh, podcast. So with this background in mind and, and knowing that we're talking about deliverability, why is this such an important topic for us to be discussing and, and why is the fix not really counting open rates as um, as a metric that we should be really like looking into? I think here at the end of the day, for us nonprofit-wise, you're looking for a donor that's receiving your email to make a donation or right. buy a ticket to an event or fill out a survey so you can learn more about your donors and what they're interested in. If we're doing the for-profit world with the Amazon experiences or if you're at a sporting goods store, let's say you know your child is getting the, it's their first time at T-Ball. They got to buy a mitt and a bat and cleats and you go to that um you go to that store, that online store, and you're clicking through things, that stuff is tracked. And then you can send targeted automated emails based on what they're looking at on your website. And so you're getting that personalization in there and they will then be more opted to actually open it and go in there and probably click on stuff. And that's what you're trying to drive. You're trying to drive the interactions. So if they leave your website, you follow up with an email, 
back to them if they haven't converted to get them to convert. And usually, you know, you've most of the time when I, me personally, if I look at something, I come back, I get the email, I go, oh yeah, I do want to actually get that because sometimes you're just thinking about it for a few minutes or I want to look at another store, but that reminder email that comes to you and you're clicking, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to purchase. And then you learn something more about your customer and what they're interested in. You can kind of plan for the future, right? You're thinking, oh, okay, they're playing T-ball next year. I should send them an email about like regular baseball and moving up. And, you know, now you kind of know their age range and stuff like that. So you can learn more about your specific customers and target them correctly so that we can get back to not so much that they're opening it, but what they're actually doing in that email. Part of deliverability, part of email deliverability in general is just making sure that you end up in the inbox as Uh opposed to the spam folder. And, you know, so all of those great tactics that Phil was just talking about really mean nothing if you're landing in spam. So you need to make sure that you're following best practices and um, and keeping your list clean and and all of the things um, in order to stay relevant in the inbox. So as an email newbie, are there like some like, again, best practices, do's and don'ts that you should should or shouldn't be doing? just in conjunction with making sure that the email is actually making its way into the inbox. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the biggest things is keeping your um, your list clean. And so as people um, are not engaging, um, they're not clicking, they're not, you know, having inter- any interaction with your um, your emails, then you start basically cleansing them off of the list and stop emailing them. And generally you want to email people who have been engaging in the last six months or so. Um, And that tends to be a a pretty good range. Um, And like Phil was saying before, you don't want to rely on opens. You want to rely on clicks. And I've seen a lot of brands um, even do things like, um, like purchase dates. Like they, you know, this person purchased something online. And so they're using that as as part of their engagement. But the reality is that Gmail and all of the other, you know, ISPs don't care <laughs> when they've <laughs> made their last purchase. The only thing that they right. care about is email. <laughs> so. Right. so Tracy, I'm hearing from you about really keeping your email list clean and who you should be targeting for your emails. As folks are kind of, you know, gearing up for some spring cleaning for this year, are there a list of other best practices that, you know, accounts or clients should have in mind for maximizing email deliverability? Yeah, the days of image-only email is over. That's like the number one spam trap that you're going to see. If you have a fully, you know, giant image in your email, it's going to get flagged. And not everybody has images turned on most Corporate networks turn them off by default. And you have to turn them on. So the user's experience then is also lessened because you see And let's take our example, Outlook, you see a big image with a red box on it and go, what did I just receive? And most of the time you're going to delete it. I used to have a wall of those in my office when I used to go to the office of people had sent those and we would laugh that, oh my goodness, you're a major, you know, you're a major brand and you're sending an image only email. I mean, that it's, it's the big, it's the, it's one of the first spam traps to get caught on ISPs to add to what Tracy was saying. So that's one of the big ones. Um, not having big spammy subject lines, like free, 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 and lots of exclamation point stuff. 
So there's, it's, it's a clear call to action. There's no confusion. It's, this is what this email is. I know exactly what's going on. I'm going to open it. And that's what I'm going to see is the other, is one of the other big pieces of that too. What about including something for, you know, individuals who don't want to be subscribed anymore? Like, are there any best practices about other links or other information that should be provided? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so usually there's a requirement that you have both an unsubscribe link and a privacy policy link, um, as well as your um, physical mailing address. Um, all of those things need to be included in the email. And um, what we have seen recently with the unsubscribe links is that by having them at the top of the email, as opposed to putting it in the footer, has actually done better with deliverability because then people yeah. can opt out more easily and they're less likely, they're more likely to hit unsubscribe and less likely to hit the spam, you know, report as spam. Absolutely. And definitely we don't want that. So I am the sad person in the room who always hits them as spam by default. <laughs> and I do, I do feel that pain of like having to go hunt down and it's always in like the tiniest font ever. And I'm doing it on my yep. phone, yes. trying to find that unsubscribe yep. link. And I probably would unsubscribe more often if it was easier to find. So that's, that's totally fair. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You don't want to hide it from people because in back in the day, you used to, people used to hide it with colors. So you wouldn't see it at all. So Tracy's <laughs> point is, exa is exactly right. Just let the people choose. It's a, it's a user-based system now. And the recipients in charge, we have to make the experience better for them. So they don't want to unsubscribe. So this is also kind of make me wonder, I'm putting myself in like a, a brand manager's uh, position. I'm seeing maybe a bunch of people unsubscribe from my, um, my emails that I'm sending out, which might indicate that maybe I need to be sending content that's more relevant to my user base, which would be a you know, first thought. Sure. But then that also brings to mind people that are purchasing email addresses and um, sending out emails. And <laughs> that's a whole different conversation, I'm sure. And I know we don't have questions around that one necessarily listed out, but do you have any initial thoughts along those lines of, I'm assuming that may not be a great best practice, but that's also just an assumption from someone that doesn't know I anything about email. I saw Tracy's eyes light up right yeah, there. No, like, don't do it. <laughs> um, yeah, list list buying is a really bad practice. Um, and, um, just because, again, we're talking about that data hygiene, you know, that list cleansing. That? And if you have purchased, you know, a list from somebody, then you don't have any idea what the history is. You can't validate that those are, are legitimate email addresses and you know those people didn't subscribe they didn't ask to receive your content um, uh, I do think that if you are starting to see a lot of unsubscribes then you do need to look at your content uh, you know what you're sending but I think also you might consider implementing some sort of um, interest-based opt-in so that if you've got um, going back to Phil's uh, example with the sporting goods if you've got somebody that is receiving emails on baseball and then their child decides to switch to football, then they should be able to go into your system and say, I no longer want to receive emails about baseball. The kid doesn't want to play <laughs> baseball anymore. We're moving on. <laughs> and so then you, you yes. let them, you know, log or opt into, um, to receiving the football notifications and then 
you know, they became or they stay a relevant consumer. Right. I'm sure you've all seen now the view your preferences or manage your preferences linked usually now in footers of emails. And Tracy's point is exactly right. It's back to that letting the user choose what they want and learning that those things as we're as we're doing those things. That's going to keep your deliverability high because you're going to provide your recipients with the content they want. So they're going to keep going back and not marking you as spam as as Gaia likes to do so much. I'm also imagining, you know, if we're saying don't include, don't have huge images in your emails anymore or image only emails, and we're sending a lot more like written text, there's probably some best practice about like, don't send a novel to people. Like, is there kind of an ideal length that people should be shooting for? So I will say that in Gmail specifically, they will cut your emails off if it reaches a specific um, character limit. And unfortunately, I don't know offhand what that character limit (laughs) is. Um, You can Google it. But but there is a limit that that it will only show the first part of your email and then anything beyond that will be clipped. So you definitely want to keep your emails pretty concise, keep the call to action very clear and um, what we tend to do is have at least two call to actions. Even if it's the same thing, you have it at the top and then also at the bottom so that, you know, as they're reading through the email, they don't have to scroll back up to the top to hit the button <laughs> to say, buy now or donate now or sign me up or whatever. Yeah, yeah. that totally and, makes uh, sense. And, yeah. And email and obviously images are impactful and we don't want to say it's not no and it's not no images either you definitely want to have images in there but good resolution and sized accordingly to go to tracy's point where there's the size limits and you don't want you know really huge images in your emails as far as size wise right like you know megs of data for your image because people still have slower connections if they're like on the subway underground and it's going to take forever for that to load on your mobile device so you're looking at, uh, to go back to your point of best practices, like usually we have a banner image at the top. And as Tracy was saying, with a nice call to action up there, then a couple blocks of copy with call to action in there too, and one more at the bottom. So you get a nice balance there, but you want to have a lot of copy because that's what people will look at. You have your, like, what well, I think it went up to six to seven seconds when somebody opens, like gets an email to actually get them to click on something and go. So you have limited time to grab their attention because everybody's getting so many emails. So right. we want to, so to back to it, get it into the inbox, get them the stuff they want and get them to interact. For the accounts that have their basics down really solidly yeah. following all of those best practices, what are some ideas for, or thought starters for leveling up their game? Like, and, and what does that look like? Yeah, this is where you get to talk to your network team, which most of the time are really helpful. <laughs> I will say here at Marvel, they've been super helpful. I've talked to them a couple of times now, and they're more than willing to help. And I feel like, you know, they're, they're, they probably get a network guys usually get a bad rap, and network guys and girls get a bad rap, but they're actually really fantastic people. And everyone I've worked in has been very helpful. So your, your next level is to start looking at some higher level stuff, which is your DMARC policies, your uh, SPF policies, which is sender policy framework. So these are next level things that you can set up on your server that basically say, Hey, I am who I say I am. Instead of just mm-hmm. sending out of Gmail or your personal EO, personal Outlook account, you're using platforms. This helps you like, Oh, handshake. Hi, I'm actually Phil. I'm not 
you know, sending this guy and sending you some bad email that you shouldn't be getting. And we all, we all <laughs> see those with, you know, the prince that needs $10 million and stuff like that yep. and things. And so you're, you will get to eliminate some of that stuff with your DMARC policy and your SPF policy. And you you can easily find it with your ISP or whoever you're using. If we use Luminate or Salesforce and they have all the information readily available. You can easily grab it, send it to your network team, and they'll be like, yep, know exactly what to do. There's easy instructions for this for them to follow. It's an easy conversation between the two of you, and it, to- it, it, it increases your deliverability amazingly. It's, it's one of the biggest things to do for leveling up your game. Um, I think I would just add to that, that in terms of the content of the emails, we've seen a lot of a push towards more engagement than just clicks. Um, what we have seen is things like surveys or even the gamification, um, having some sort of rewards thing and rewards program. So we've seen people doing things in email that are um, are there to boost engagement um, beyond just click here to buy or click here to donate. I'm sure too there are some personalization that goes into that. Like there's your basic personalization, dear Gaia type of incorporation into the letter. But especially when it comes to like rewards programs or, you know, next best action, what we're really prompting them to do or engage with, there's probably some up-leveled personalization that's available. This is definitely a big one for me. Um, I have seen so many people that want that sort of Amazon level engagement, but the biggest barrier to that tends to be data. Um, most people feel like they don't have strong enough data. Either they don't trust the data or they just haven't collected it or they don't have it in the right place that they can easily access it. Um, so those tend to be the biggest barriers to that, but if you can get past that, I can tell you that those personalized emails are so fantastic because you really are sort of reaching them, you know, with the right message, the right time, you know, the whole bit. And so, um, so we, we've talked about this so many times, you know, on different teams about if we know something about them, let's use that information in our communication. So you know, Dear Gaia would be great, but if we also had more information about the things that you like about our brand or um, what motivates you, then that kind of information helps us deliver a more personal experience with you. And I was reading something the other day that said that 70-something percent of consumers wish that brands knew more about them. And only about 18% of the consumers feel like the brands speak to them like they actually, like the brand actually knows the person. And so it's, there's definitely a gap there. And I think data is definitely the biggest problem. And I don't know if you guys have an answer to this, but when consumers say they want brands to know more about them, is it that they want them to do something like fill out more surveys and like send more surveys to them? Or is it more that they are saying, hey, I'm on your website. I'm going around doing all these different things. You need to keep track of it and <laughs> incorporate that into what you know about me. Is it kind of just like that data collection kind of organically? I think it is the organic data collection. Um, 
I think people feel like, you know, I, I'm searching for a new vacuum cleaner and I do all my research and I buy the vacuum cleaner from you. I don't want you to then send me more information about vacuum cleaners. I've just purchased one and you should know that I just purchased one because I bought it from you, you know, that kind of thing. But we still see it. We still see all of the ads on Facebook. We still see, you know, the, the Google ads. We still get email communication about things that we've already done from a specific brand. And that type of thing is actually a little bit annoying to, you know, to the consumer because they feel like I purchased it from you. Like you should know. And so, yeah, I think that definitely some improvements can be done there. Yeah, definitely. Because then you're hurting deliverability because then the, the your customer is now, as Tracy said, like, wait, how do you not know about me yet? Now I'm unhappy with getting the same vacuum or different vacuums. Boom, I'm, I'm unsubscribing or marketing is spam. And then you've lost a customer or you've lost, I think, a hit on your deliverability. And there's you, and it could have been easily solved by just saying, hey, maybe I should send you vacuum bag emails or belts or something about the vacuum instead of more vacuum stuff. Like get them into the next level of, you know, buying something from you at this point, right? Because now you know the vacuum. What other things can I offer you? Do you send them other cleaning products? Because now we know you're vacuuming. So do I send you, you know, and, and there is a huge range of options. You can go right from there, from that one tiny bit of information and know so, know so much about somebody just that way. So I think you're right. It's the organic part. And it's funny because it's almost counterintuitive, right? There's all the, you know, there's can spam, there's don't accept cookies and all these things like, oh, but I really want you to know more about me. But it's, you're getting less and less because you can't actually collect it. So that makes the data part of it hard as well. Yeah. And even though we come back trying to sell more in these touches the consumer does not respond well to it unless it's a sell more of something that's hyper relevant for me based on my journey so far yes exactly yeah absolutely any other examples that you want to include for kind of these like higher level personalization either on the the for-profit or non-profit side i would say one of the things on the non-profit side that um, that we've been sort of pushing for is using the imagery in the emails. And so if we've got a client who has, we know that they've got a certain condition or something like that, and we're working with a health nonprofit. And so if we know that they've got that condition, then presenting them with images like the banner image um, of somebody else that they can relate to. Or if we know that they're a caregiver, then perhaps we show an image of two people with one clearly being a caregiver and somebody else having the condition. Um, so that that it's not just the text that is relevant and dynamic, you know, and personalized. It's also the entire experience. It's the the imagery and the whole thing is, is sort of personalized to that. I'm sure too, as a preview, we have quite a few episodes coming up on generative AI <laughs> products mm-hmm. and platforms. And I'm sure too, the content creation and personalization side of this will just kind of explode in possibilities as we get into those conversations too. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. That's going to be fun to watch. <laughs> our last question really is just, you know, as we have a lot of our listeners walking away from this episode, what do you want them to think about 
uh, kind of in their immediate to-do list in the next week? I think from my perspective, um, I, I know I've been beating the the data drum, but but I do think that cleaning up your list and making sure that you've got relevant data is is a big thing that can help you succeed. Um, and you know, I just think that that's going to be the biggest area where you can make an impact. And we've seen a lot of people think, you know, well, I don't want to clean up my list because then I'm emailing less people. And it seems counterintuitive because you're afraid that if you email less people, you're going to get less responders when actually what ends up happening is you get better responses because you're only emailing the people who want to receive your content. You're ending up in the inbox as opposed to spam and you're just getting better response rates. And so even though it seems like a very painful thing to clean up your data and get rid of some people that are not responding, um, it actually is is the best situation. Um, and I don't know, Phil, what your thoughts are. Yeah, I agree. Your, your list is then lean and mean, right? It's ready to it's ready to rock and, and get you the results you want. And it's not something that should be scary anymore. I think to echo Trace's point, it was like, oh my goodness, I have a list of five hundred thousand people, and now it's going to be two hundred fifty. And a lot of people get scared about that, and you have to have those conversations and to. To bring another point up, you can't. You don't have to totally lose them and cut them out. You could do a re-engagement campaign with them and go back to what kind of what you're saying, guy. That was, oh, give them a survey, like a one question. Or what's something you like about our organization? What's something you'd like to see on our website? Like, and is it shoes or you know, or sports? Is it football, basketball, baseball? And then you can use that re-engagement wise to put them into a track that gets them into something that they like, and then you can improve their your develop deliverability, and you can keep them on your list. So you're, we're, it's more of exactly what Tracy was saying, the data part of it and looking at it and still giving them opportunity to stay on the list, even if they haven't interacted with you in a while. And the only other point I would like to add on to is to think mobile first. I think, I don't know if we've touched on that yet, but with everybody with a phone in their hand, looking at email, sometimes we still think of developing for a desktop. And now with so many different devices, we have to think mobile first in regards to development for emails. So as we're, as you're talking with your clients, go, Hey, Think about what this will look like on a handheld device that's going to be smaller and you can see so that your call to action is at the top and your or your ordering preferences are right there where you can go, oh, I see it. Good. I got you right here. Yeah. Your engagement device is immediately visible upon loading. I can see how that's yes. pretty critical. You want that nice experience when they see something. Phil, Tracy, thank you so, so much for joining us today and share your knowledge on everything related to email, deliverability, tech enablement, all of the things. Um, truly appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having us. It was fun. It was fun. I agree, Ted. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining us for this episode of Digital Marketing Musings. If you would like to connect with us, DM us on Twitter or Instagram using the handle at Merkel. As always, we are so grateful for our listeners. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review us, and tell a friend about the show. This episode was produced by Merkel with sound and video editing by Craig Sigursky. Our team includes copywriting by Annika Schliesman, graphic design by Garrett Rubel, website support by Bella Paul and Emily Chu, and social media and promotion by Gina Astrop, Andrea Ratner, and Lily Williams. Until next time, I'm Andrew McCartney. And I'm Gaia Reed. Bye.